Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. Hello, I'm Ann Harder. Welcome to Central Texas Living, the podcast. Today we take a dive into Waco history with our expert, Dr. Stephen Sloan. Dr. Sloan is an associate professor of history at Baylor University and the director of the Institute for Oral History. His keen understanding of local history led him to create the Waco History website and mobile app. And he hosts a podcast through Rogue Media called Waco History Podcast. It's a delight to have you here. Thank you, Ann. Thank you so much for having me in. Well, I had a chance to hear you uh, talk to the um, the local, the Waco Town Committee of the uh, National Society of Colonial Dames of America in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful. And everybody was just so thrilled and so entertained and you say history is entertaining but Waco history can be quite entertaining I think Waco history is fascinating that's one of the reasons why some of the projects you mentioned I've been involved in is I think it's a our community has a has a wonderful and diverse history and there's so much we can learn about all aspects of history just right under our feet and so I enjoy the opportunity to talk about it and I enjoy that occasion anytime it's a a lunch talk. If I get lunch, I feel like I've had, I've been <laughs> successful. And so they gave me lunch after the talk. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ridgewood wasn't bad. It was great. <laughs> it, was, it was really nice. Um, but it was so great to, uh, to, to see your presentation because I mean, you talked about people that folks were familiar with and then some things that not very many people were familiar with in Waco history. And of course, Waco has a very colorful past with the six shooter junction moniker that it had for so long so many years ago um what what do you think is one of the most surprising things you've learned about waco's past yeah i think you know six shooter junction i think of all the names waco's had the athens of texas which Mm -hmm. there was there was several different of those geyser city you know all the the uh, Jerusalem on the Brazos. <laughs> well, I still call that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an old name. I yeah. Think. All the things that, that Waco has, has been gathered. I think what I've been surprised by, and one of the reasons why I love history is I'll never, never have complete mastery of the subject within which I work. Uh, I think of folks that go to work and uh, by the time they've done it a couple of years, they know everything they need to know about that job, but I'll continue to learn. And even about this place, it's fun to to dig deep in one place and see what you can discover. And so it's just the variety of things. And if we think about Waco's history, 
And what is Waco's history? Well, it depends on which perspective you want to look at it. And there's all sorts of different ways to look at it and things to learn as we kind of think about different lenses to examine the past. What do you think is the best resource for someone wanting to learn more about Waco specifically? So I'll brag again on the uh, app. Uh, One of the things I like about that is uh, when I came to Waco, I, I was a Baylor grad, but I came back in 2007 to run the Institute for Oral History that you mentioned and I was really shocked that there wasn't a open Waco History Museum. There wasn't a place that kind of interpreted the breadth of Waco's history. We had uh, soft drinks, we had mammoths, we had all sorts of sports, we had all sorts of different things, but we didn't have that sort of place. And so what I like about that platform is we've got 180 stories uh, on there now, even more than that, and the variety of things that can be told that way where if I tried to do a bricks and mortar solution to that, it would be real limited in the variety of stories that it could tell. Mm-hmm. The Helen Marie Taylor Museum comes to mind. They have a few things, interesting things there, and it's a by appointment. I think you can still see it. <clears throat> but you know what? What you're you're talking about are you know the really in depth stories mm-hmm. about some of the colorful folks of the past. Mm-hmm. Helen Marie Taylor, that's a great museum. We actually had Miss Taylor on the podcast, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but that hasn't been regularly open to the public since the 1990s. And so just just the idea of something that's accessible and at our fingertips, and I think there are audiences that might engage in a digital platform that, that wouldn't necessarily walk through the door and see a museum. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about you a little bit. What When did you know you wanted to study history, that history was, was there a certain teacher or, you know, what, what got you into this area? Well, I have an accounting degree from Baylor. And well, so, God love you. <laughs> so the, the the joke that I make when they ask why history is, I say I followed the money, <laughs> which anyone uh, familiar with education would know that's hilarious. Um, but uh, I, I, the hope was I was going to, I'm from Texas and, and from a smaller town in East Texas, and the hope was I was going to take over a, a family business that would have been a third generation family business. And I didn't work that, that out with my dad until after I graduated that I didn't want to go back to Henderson, Texas, which is where I'm from. And so I had space while my uh, wife was in grad school. She's a psychologist here in town and just started taking history classes actually at the University of California, Los Angeles, uh, when I lived in California for a period of time, just because I was interested, took another class because I was interested and then start to say, well, maybe, you know, maybe this could become something uh, that, that I could do as a job. And so a quick eight years later, I had a Ph.D. and uh, somebody employed me uh, to do this. And so it's, it's been a joy, my career, which is almost 20 years long now, uh, teaching uh, and researching history. I've loved it. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it must be rewarding to you when you have students that want to follow the same kind of career path, maybe because you inspired them. It's a lot of fun. And I even think back, my wife likes to tell this story. I remember being on a date. I won't mention her name, um, but I remember being on a date at Schmaltz's in the late 1980s. So this, this dates it a little bit. And uh, she said, Stephen, if you could do anything, what would you want to do? And I said, I would love to talk to lobstermen in Maine. I would love to talk to so-and-so in California and so-and-so and kind of gave five or six different examples of folks I'd like to talk to and understand their experience. It's really what my job is now. I had no conception that 
anybody would ever pay anybody to do that at the time. But uh, I see it as a bit prophetic that I've been able to have this job now that so many years ago um, I began to envision of what it might be. But every time I do an an interview uh, and capture someone's story, I'm really grateful just for the opportunity that I've been given. Well, let's talk about oral history then and that that whole aspect of your work. Um, I just think it's so important to to get the thoughts and the memories of folks that are still alive mm-hmm. before they pass. Mm-hmm. And I also think, you know, if if I can get you to try to describe how you experience the world, uh, I don't know how you experience the world. And so if I can get you to describe how you encounter events and phenomenon and historical events, and I can try to understand that. If you can describe it to me, then I can have a better understanding of what that event event was and the meaning and significance of it. And I just think we're limited as individuals. And I feel like each time I hear someone's story, I get a more robust kind of understanding of, of some of these things that I'm interested in. So how do you find those subjects to, to interview? For, for work, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. your official well, oral history at yeah, Baylor University. Yeah, so Baylor's into grants. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it is driven by grant work that mm-hmm. I'm able to get. And so I've done projects interviewing uh, servicemen that liberated concentration camps in World War II. I've done interviews interviewing survivors of genocide, world genocide that then immigrated to Texas. And so a lot of that has been dictated by uh, partners uh, that I can find that are willing to support our work. Uh, and then sometimes we have uh, partners that aren't grant-based but are just community-based. Right now we're working with the Dr. Pepper Museum. They're wanting to develop new exhibit material on uh, kind of the integration of lunch counters here in Waco. And so I've been doing interviews lately on uh, African-American citizens we have here in town that, that knew what segregated lunch counters were like and experienced what it was like for those places, those public spaces, to begin to welcome both black and white. Well, you, you mentioned the uncomfortable aspect mm-hmm. of history. And, and just give us your thoughts on those who, who want to maybe erase those kinds of things from, from the public discourse, uh, statues coming down, all that kind of thing. Uh, just what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think history is warts and all. I mm-hmm. mean, it, you know, we have we have ugly parts of our history. Um, I, I feel like uh, history is very complicated. Um, that's one of the reasons why I like my job, because I think there's always a pull to oversimplify things in the past. And, you know, one, we assume everybody in the past was racist and stupid. Or two, you know, we assume everyone in the past was whatever the opposite of that would be. But it's, it's always much more complicated than that. And so I think sitting down and studying and trying to understand how these people experience the past um, is extremely important. And so I feel like we do a bit of this uh, in our oral history work. We've, get, we've been doing interviews since the 1970s. So... We've got perspectives going back, you know, to the early part of the 20th century where folks are describing in their own words. Uh, It's fun when I have students, I'll present two different stories where people will say different things about the same event, and I'll ask my students what's true. And that's where it gets interesting, where you've got to wrestle, you know, with these aspects of uh, not just 
what happened, but what did it mean? You know, what did it mean and what caused it and what were the results of it? I think that's the interesting part of history. Yeah, and how, how did people interpret it? That's right. That were living through it. That's right. At the time. Mm-hmm. For for someone in their own family, um, could you give some pointers on, on somebody who maybe wants to do an oral history with an, maybe an elderly relative that, you know, to so that those thoughts aren't forgotten? That's a great, that's a great question. My, my favorite, I've done hundreds of oral histories. My favorite is my father. Yeah. I did interviews with him. He's passed about 11 years now, but I did interviews with him before he passed. And I do think it's extremely important. Um, you know, if you're listening and you think those stories are going to be around forever, they're not, and they're really hard to capture and nail down. And so I would say, you know, going at it intentionally to think about taking time to kind of sit and record these stories well. Uh, on our website, baylor.edu slash oral history, we have an introduction to oral history manual that you can download and look at, and it'll give you some ideas of how to develop approaches to ask these questions and things like that. I think making sure it's preserved somewhere. We're interested in preserving stories. I know other people are interested in that as well. But I just think it's a, uh, I think it's a, there's an old saying, an old proverb that says every time an older person dies, a library burns down. And it's true. in, In many ways, it's actually worse than that because some libraries have the same things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, each individual is a repository of unique experiences. And those are things we don't write memoirs anymore. Uh, most folks won't have biographies written of them. They don't write letters anymore. That's right. So. And so, you know, and of course our digital footprint will disappear. Those of you that have a MySpace page, I'm sorry. You know, th- th- that'll disappear and go into the ether. And so how do we make sure these things are documented and captured? I think for families, I encourage my students, whatever oral history they're working on, and they're working on very weighty research topics using oral history, that they, they start with their family as well uh, because it's important to gather. They will treasure that mm-hmm. in time. They really will. Um, back to Waco history. Right. What what would you say was one of the most surprising things you learned about when I mean, you, you were here as a student, mm-hmm. so in a way it was sort of like coming home, but not really. But uh, you were very familiar, I'm sure. And two, how how much time do you spend at Oakwood Cemetery? Yeah, Oakwood's amazing. Yeah. And, and there's there's so many stories that can be told through Oakwood. Oh, actually, I've got a funny story to you that just happened. Uh, Clint Lynch, who's the director of Oakwood Cemetery, was on our podcast last and he contacted me this week and asked if he owed me a commission because they sold a cemetery plot off of the Waco History podcast. And I said, yes. Well, good. For- no. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, I said, I just have to be able to tell the story. Mm. But uh, yeah, those, you know, places like that are extremely rich. One thing that we want to do, interestingly, in placing things on the app is I didn't want all the pins in Oakwood <laughs> or Greenwood. I didn't want to end every story with, and they died. So, you know, thinking about how to uh, place base as a place based app, how do we place people where they lived and where they were active in the sphere, the spheres in which they operated in the community? And so there are so many great uh, stories to tell out there and there's so much that can be done on Oakwood itself. But what I've enjoyed, I think, is the stories that are less told. Uh, you were at the presentation where I rolled out some names. Do you know these names? And I think there was one person in the room. You you knew one of the names. 
and there was one person in the room that may have known two out mm-hmm. of the four. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the same stories get told over and over, but there's always new stir- stories to learn and, and new stories to appreciate. Well, you mentioned Oakwood, and uh, I think is the second Saturday of October at 10 o'clock they do wake some sort of a... Uh, stories. Yeah, the storytellers. Yeah, the the storytellers yeah. guild. Yeah. They go out there and they research different people who are out there, and it, it's wonderful. I have not missed one in, in several years, uh, but there was a one. I can't call the lady's name, but she was a well-known madam in yeah, Waco. Yeah, uh, Molly Adams. Molly Adams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so she was uh, one of the probably the most famous madam in the reservation uh, area of Waco. And so that's an area of Waco that's really interesting because um, it was a legal prostitution district. Then it was a very important uh, Mexican-American neighborhood, Calle Dos, and then urban renewal came in. So you could look at it right now and say, well, there's a lot of empty land there. (laughs) But, you know, cities are like, uh, it's like when you write something on paper and you erase it and you can still kind Mm -hmm. of see the traces of it there. You know, there's layers in cities and a place like that has a lot of layers. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. some some amazing stories. Of course, you know, I was a journalism student at Baylor, and you have to go to Oakwood and see the Braun statue. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of brings me to another kind of famous aspect of Waco history, and that's the whole iconoclast and and the fight he had with your employer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Baylor University. (laughs) But Baylor provided a lot of colorful (laughs) stories over the years. It has, yeah. And I, I think Waco's relationship uh, with Baylor has always been really interesting. And you mentioned me being here uh, in the 80s. As a student, I didn't have much notion of Waco. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it may have been a place where I guess we had to go out to eat at some point, but there wasn't much of a relationship there. I think one of the great stories of the last 30 years or so here locally has been um, kind of Waco discovering Baylor and Baylor discovering Waco as far as at a student level and the way those relationships happen. I love that we're on Washington Avenue and Baylor's right down the street here. They have a building right down the street. Right, and the so social work school. Yeah, right. They have so much to offer each other. So it's good to see those interconnections yeah, being Yeah, town created. and gown. That's an expression I just learned. Yeah. And <laughs> so it, it's kind of interesting. It's a struggle for a lot of universities. It can be. Yeah, it really can it, be. It can be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Waco owes a lot to Baylor, and I think the same way. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The same way back. Um, you have been real involved, though. I mean, you, you you came back and got this great job at Baylor, but you've been very involved in the community and with the Historic Waco Foundation as well. You even served as president. Let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about those beautiful houses. Yeah, wonderful houses, very iconic houses. Um, I love East Terrace there on the river, uh, but, but all the houses have different stories to tell uh, and I think are extremely important, and they, they connect I think to, um, you know, the 19th century in Waco, but they have a broader story to tell than that. Um, I was, uh, talking to someone today about the Cottonland Castle, which was J.W. Mann's Mm -hmm. land out there that the Cottonland, the uh, Cottonland Castle is on. And so there, those story, those houses have stories that are interwoven in a lot of aspects of early Waco. Yeah, I think being involved and um, and going and touring them when you can, mm-hmm. um, it's it's just very important, and it and it helps keep that sense of of ties to the history of Waco. When I was a teenager, I was one of the little bells who you know was I got to learn. I think the first one I was at was Board House, uh-huh. and uh, had to learn all the stuff in one room and 
haltingly try to tell <laughs> what I <laughs> did not did not have the desire to become a history teacher myself as a result. But, but yeah, it, you know, and so those are treasured memories for me. Yeah, and and there's volunteers there that put in hundreds mm-hmm. of hours. Oh, I mean, they it's, do. It's a volunteer-driven organization, and those men and women love those homes and sacrifice a lot for them, and so it's it's really great work. Well, your podcast, you mention it, and um, this is something that you dreamed you'd be doing, something you always wanted to do, a podcast. Well, I, we've told the story, but uh, Randy Lane, who um, I'll continue to give a shout-out to, approached me. Uh, in 2018 and said, Hey, how'd you like to do a history podcast? So, you know, again, we need, uh, we need content to meet expertise in, (laughs) in podcasting. And so Randy definitely had the latter. He didn't have the former, but he was willing to learn. And so it created a partnership that launched us there where he was willing to do the technical side. And, uh, there's so many stories to talk about. So Randy's moved on of course, but his, uh, his contributions to Waco live on through the podcast continuing. Mm-hmm. And mm. folks can find that here through Rogue Media, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're we're uh, brother and sister now in, <laughs> yeah, in, in the uh, Rogue Media Network. And so it's been great to be part of a larger group uh, instead of off on our own. Okay. Well, I like to end these little podcasts with a little questionnaire. It's uh, similar to the one the late great James Lipton would use on Inside the Actor's Studio. And this is my sort of abbreviated version of it. What is your favorite word? My favorite word. Um, so so there can be meaning to word or just the favorite word to say. Whatever. I think I like to say ubiquitous. I think that's a fun word. <laughs> I think that's a really fun word to say. It's ubiquitous. Okay. Do you so, have a, a least favorite word? Oh, uh, <laughs> at least favorite word. Um, let's see. Can I, can I use two words? Sure. Conference call. <laughs> yeah. We know all about those yeah. things now <laughs> on a very, very real level. That's right. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Mm, that's great. And, and I think it, it's connected to what I was talking about before, just the opportunity to be granted the favor to have access to someone's story. Um, there's a there's an old saying also that says the greatest favor you can do for someone is let them tell you their story. And I feel like it's the, the reverse is true as well. It, it feels an honor to me to get the opportunity to hear stories. And so, so I'll leave, a, a, you know, and, and I've been asked before, do you like interviewing famous people or folks not so famous? And I, I would say generally it's, it's the stories that I don't know, which are generally the, the stories that are less told. Uh, I just feel so honored that I get to hear some of these things. And, and some of these things I'm hearing that the family has never heard. And they're also extending me the courtesy of being able to share uh, that experience and that story with others. And so that's what gets me excited. And so all the other things that I've got to do at Baylor, I do love teaching and I do love the ability to write and research, but that's what really gets me excited. Well, then what turns you off creatively or spiritually or emotionally? I can't say conference call again. Um, (laughs) You've used that one. (laughs) I've used that one. Um, You know, I I would say uh, two things that that really bother me and, and two things I think in the current environment that, that are pretty rampant and we live in a very politicized age, although every age is somewhat politicized, 
but stereotypes and generalizations. When people stereotype or generalize about things and uh, try to use too smooth a cover to explain one thing or another, it really bothers me. Uh, it, I think it, demi- it, it denies the humanity that is in uh, maybe viewpoints different than ours and also uh, deprives us of the opportunity to learn from each other. And so stereotypes and generalizations, I think, would be two things that, that would really turn me off. It all kind of goes back to listening. I think so. I think so. Speaking of, what sound do you love the most? (laughs) That's a great question. So right now, and this isn't an ad, uh, but uh, I have a to-do app on my phone, and it makes this little ding when you do something. (laughs) When you you click it, it makes a ding. Uh And I will confess that I've written down things I've already done just so I can click it and hear that little ding sound. It's so satisfying. And it, it probably shouldn't be, but, and, and I probably shouldn't need that affirmation from this faceless, humanless uh, device. But when it makes that little ding, I'm a little more satisfied than I was before. Sometimes we got to find it anywhere we can. <laughs> exactly. Anything. Well, so what is your least favorite sound? Uh, least favorite sound. I was, uh, we were just talking beforehand. I don't have grandkids yet, but you were talking about your grandkids and I guess a baby crying. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was, I was out somewhere recently and I heard a baby cry and, you know, a certain sort of baby cry uh, that is more of a distressed cry. And I realized how long it had been since I'd heard that, but just how it really cuts through you uh, when you hear it. It wasn't my kid and the kid wasn't near me. But wow, what a sound that, that really cuts to, I think, cuts to your heart immediately. So I'll, I'll say that sound. Yeah, you still respond mm-hmm. in some way. All right, uh, so you have an accounting degree, but what other profession would you like to try? That's a good question. Oh, well, uh, this is probably telling you more than you want to know, but um, there was a, I've mentioned being in California and I had the opportunity to uh, go to school some in California so the other thing I did while I was out there to my fiance's chagrin is I did stand-up comedy <laughs> for a period of time at the Ice House in Pasadena, California. And uh, my wife panicked for a bit there before I set myself on a more professional path. But it was always something that I had wanted to do. It was really fun uh, that I got to do it. But I, I kind of wish that window had been a little longer that I got to play around with it a little bit longer before hey. You could say that we're sitting in a building where you could just I, right in the other room. I know, room. You I could know. do some stand-up. I know. i got to build up my courage. Yeah. I, I think you'd be great. <laughs> I know your students would love to come here. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I release it now. I get a little bit. In, and so I get that on some student evaluations. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what profession do you know you would not want to do? Um, That's a good question. Uh, these are all really good questions. I was thinking of something the other day that I wouldn't want to do. Oh, risk management. I would not like to be in risk management hmm. where you're, you're just kind of aware you're, you're looking and researching things that could possibly go wrong. All the negative. <laughs> and then maybe walking around and trying to, I just think it's got to affect how you view every environment. 
<laughs> you you could you couldn't enjoy anything if there was an uncovered plug in the room or something like that. So well, I think risk management is not what I would want I th- to do. I think I raised my kids this way. I didn't realize this, but you know, having read news and all it's all bad news. Motorcycles, you know, you know, little those little uh, RVs, whatever. The, all these kind of horrible things are going to happen. Whatever case it is, and I'm always always the first to tell them, no, 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 this could happen. Yeah, in your <laughs> so career, I was Ann, serving yeah. as a risk manager, and yeah. I think my kid, she's no fun to be around. Yeah, now. in your career, <laughs> Anne, any bad thing that could happen to you, you've probably read about. I it. read about it, so I've already <laughs> top of mind there. Oh my goodness! All right, finally, what do you want to hear God say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, I think well done, uh, my good and faithful servant. I'm I'm plagiarizing there, but you know, I would think that's what. That, that's what I would hope to hear that, that, you know, my time wasn't wasted here. I, you know, I made an impact. Uh, it, it's a better place for me having been here. You know, we, we all think about it times. Oh, I assume we all think about it. I haven't asked about this, but we all think about our George Bailey-ness, you know, what, what, <laughs> what was the difference made, you know, insert me out of the equation. How's, you know, how's the result different? And so I, I think that's what I'd like to hear. Uh, when uh, when it comes down to that. Well, your Waco History app has certainly made it a better place. It's fun to go check that out. So how can folks download that, and where can they find the website? You can, uh, you can find wacohistory.org is the website, and the app is available in the App Store on Google Play. Uh, it's a red, big red bubble with, with Waco in the middle. Uh, I'll also say uh, one one opportunity we're going to have uh, at the end of August, I'm not sure when this is coming out, and I don't want to date it, but we are going to have a uh, Waco History scavenger hunt in town as a way to, now that we've got a lot of content on the app, we're going to start doing events with it and some programming with it, and we want to do some school curriculum with it. So, oh, that's yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, so new, new things to come from mm-hmm. it. And you have a Facebook page, I guess, we social do. media platforms. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. Very good, Dr. Mm-hmm. Stephen Sloan. Thank you so much. It's Thank been you, a Ann. joy. This was fun. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. Why am I here? I'm here to be your tour guide through Waco. I'm here to tell you all the goings on in and around Waco. I'm going to give you the 411 on what's happening, what's going on, and what events you should go to. This is your host, Debbie, signing off. Now that you know, go. Just go, Waco. Are you building a new business while managing a family? Are you tired of trying to balance home and work and everything seems to be coming up short? Then there's a podcast made just for you. Baking Your Business from Scratch is where we create the perfect recipe for building a successful business while managing your home and family with love. Come join us and see for yourself. This 
has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Thank you.